Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What the Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're finding out if our love for this series will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Isaac. I'm Chloe. And today we're talking about the first half of Twilight, the first novel in the saga. Okay. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Chloe, why are we doing this? Because, unfortunately, (laughs) the subject (laughs) matter... um, is something that affected our adolescence massively. And already you're saying, unfortunately. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. We were obsessed. Is obsession fair? Obsession is fair, yeah. It took over a good period. Oh, I think at least a year, if not more, of our lives. But we are now in our mid-twenties. It's probably been over ten years since we last kind of identified as hardcore fans. Yes, yes. Since that time, it's it's seems to get a lot of scorn. Mm. People, it's not just that it's not as popular as it was. People seem to really hate it. And I want to know if that's fair. Were we just being like silly kids, mm. or what? Like why? Mm. There has to be a reason that this spoke because it didn't yeah. just speak to us. It spoke, it spoke to, to so many. So many, yeah. So that's what we want to know. Oh. We also want to note. Um, that we're not qualified for this. No, absolutely no qualifications we whatsoever. We are not literary scholars. I mean, no. We're not YA authors. No. We're just readers. We're no. just fans-ish. Ish. Don't take us too seriously. Yeah, and these are just our opinions. Exactly. Very much so. Very much. <laughs> I mean, they're great ones. Oh, the, important. Absolutely. You, you they are listen. correct. <laughs> So, before we go into it, let's pace ourselves. Okay. Thinking that we should probably discuss our memories of Twilight. Yes. Shall shall I go first? Shall I go first with my memories? Okay. So, we have always been friends, but we had broken up. So, this is after our year seven romance. Yes. But it was like the beginnings of year eight when we were friends with like a big group of people. Mm-hmm. And I was more friends with like the girls of that group. Yeah. I don't know if I can name them, but there was... Let's call them uh, Angelica, okay. Eliza and Peggy. Okay. So Angelica yeah. uh, was the leader of the group. Mm-hmm. Very unassumingly so, but was quite manipulative. Angelica and I became very close friends and she discovered this book. What? Yeah, and the book was called Twilight. And she said it was, you know, like this dark romance and I would really like it. And I thought, oh, okay. But couldn't tell anybody else about it. Had to be our secret little thing. Of course it did. Yeah. So I remember, I think I went to Waterstones in Lincoln Mm -hmm. uh, on our weekend trips there that we used to do. And I bought it and I remember reading it. And we'd have so many conversations at school about it. And then we had to keep it very hush-hush. Like it was this secret that we couldn't let anybody know. And that included you. (laughs) But you wormed your way in. Oh, absolutely. This was was a big part. I didn't realise quite how much it was a part of my memory of this particular book. book. I remember lunch times at school. We would Mm. go out into the field. This was, you know summertime in Lincolnshire. <laughs> uh, 
And I remember spotting this book and it being kind of talked about amongst the girls. And this was kind of one of several discussions that it was quite clear I was not to be involved in. It was something I was familiar with, which, you know, I don't think I... I think I kind of got. I don't think I was that bothered, Mm. but probably was because it's me. So Uh. I I read the book in secret. Because yes. so that it wasn't just that I wasn't to be in the conversations about the book. Uh, you weren't allowed to read it. I wasn't. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't to know. I mm. remember discussions. I remember whispers of Edward oh, right. and talk of of Edward and and what he was and and just kind of shrugging oh, it off uh, <laughs> and then buying the book in secret. <laughs> Not just buying it and being like, I bought this book. I'm reading this book. Yeah. But I read the entire thing by myself without telling anyone and I mean I don't really remember when or how we ended up talking about it uh but I think I planned it to be very cool like I was just gonna like join in the conversation and be like oh yeah I remember that scene uh but I that surely can't be what happened because I was never that cool I just (laughs) (laughs) remember I was this petty yeah I wasn't that cool you have always been my confidant so I remember mm. that it was weird that we couldn't talk about it. It was like this, like, ooh. Do you think you did? I remember you ringing me and telling me you'd read it. <sighs> I think then you told me and I was like, oh. And then I think we had conversations about it. And then I think you slowly ingratiated yourself into the conversations at school. I just made myself yeah, up. Just like, like, by, by the, the way, way, bitches. You can't leave me out anymore just because I'm a dude. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I get it. Particularly with... Angelica, Eliza, Peggy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And because I wasn't even... I couldn't even be the gay friend at that time. No, I was you were the just, boyfriend. Oh, shit, I was the boyfriend. You were the boyfriend. Because I remember you got with Angelica after reading Twilight. I mean, maybe? got with. Got with sounds very sordid. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean... I held hands and watched Pan's Labyrinth with Angelica. Aww. <laughs> You're Do you have welcome. any other key memories of... Um, my mum loved it. I didn't realise that Twilight mums were a thing. Oh, Twilight mums are huge. They I... were more than the girls. Wow. And my mum will still stick by this saga today. We're almost ready to talk about the book. We've had a big lead up to this. Yes. <laughs> which is actually a lot like the book. I was just going to say. Before anything actually happens, yeah. let's do a nice, long, <laughs> agonising lead-up. So, we're just talking about the first half. We're going to go right from the very beginning of the book up to and including chapter 12. Yes. This is what our discussion today is going to centre on. So, the plot. Okay, what happens in this half of the book? We are introduced to our protagonist, Isabella Swan. She is leaving beautiful, sunny Phoenix, where her mother, who she's very codependent with, Mm -hmm. uh, lives, and their stepfather lives. They have a good relationship, Mm -hmm. but she is moving to cold, wet forks with her father that she's... I say estranged, but you you don't really... I don't think they're estranged. I don't know. They've been spending summers together, but they don't live together, and they live, like, across the country, so they're hardly close. Yeah. Anyway, so she's there, and her father is called Charlie Swan, and he is the head chief, of the police. Chief Swan. I like Charlie, but yeah, I do too. Yeah, I do too. I think he's trying. Yeah, he's he's, he's trying to do his best. I mean, like any parent with a yeah. teenager. Bella's also being kind of a martyr about this, about moving to Forks. 
it's to basically allow her mother to tra- travel with her stepfather. Yeah. Um, and she'll go to school in Forks. It's the, the, she's doing the good thing. The good daughterly thing. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so she starts school. And being the newbie, all the men flock. Which I think is normal. Novelty. Mm. Just purely by the novelty of a new person. I suppose. I don't know. We did it. I suppose we did. Just purely. Shiny and, then, and new. Exactly. And then once you've seen them enough times, mm. you're like, eh, actually, you're no more interesting just because you're from Peterborough. Oh. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so she so arrives at school. She arrives at high school. All the men love her. And actually, everybody makes a lot of effort with her. And she chooses to not remember anybody's name. Uh, but she has people to sit with at lunch. And she's getting friendly with people. And then... During lunchtime, she looks over and notices him. Edward Cullen. Yes. This beautiful boy with copper, I want to say that again, copper hair. It's very important to me. Did I ever tell you about the (laughs) time that I met my ex-boyfriend? He came up to me and I remember him saying to me that I look like the guy from that Twilight thing. And I have ginger hair. And I was like, oh my god, he, like, not only thinks that I'm gorgeous, <laughs> like, but he knows, because you can't possibly describe someone with ginger hair as being like someone who doesn't have ginger hair, so he doesn't think I look like Robert Pattinson from the movies. No. He has read the book, <laughs> and so understands my soul, and knows <laughs> that Edward has red hair. Oh no, now you've just proved that Twilight didn't just affect our adolescence. It affected our entire lives. Yeah. I was in my 20s yeah. at that point. I, yeah. Obviously, as I got to know this man, <laughs> realised, no, he'd not read the books. Any of them. Then she has biology class mm-hmm. with him, mm-hmm. uh, sits next to him. He hates the way she smells. Yep. It's quite foul. She should have washed. <laughs> I don't think that. I think you've misread. <laughs> I don't think. It, I think he. This is her interpretation reaction. when she first. Because she sniffs her hair. Yeah. yeah, you know when you've left conditioner in your hair and you're just feeling a bit. Yeah, sticky and you're and like, oh, I should have had two showers. Today. Everyone can see this. Mm, she's probably on a period. Oh my god. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> He, the minute that bell goes, he is out that door. Mm-hmm. Very quickly. Mm. Anyway, he disappears for a couple of days. She mourns. He reappears. His eyes have changed colour. He then decides to speak to her. And she decides, I think very quickly, that she's she's in love with this mm-hmm. boy. But? But. Something weird about him. Yeah. Uh, Which, and, I mean, anyone with eyes should be able to see. But yeah. for some reason, it's just Bella. Yeah. But they're outsiders, they don't let anybody in, they're very rude to mm-hmm. all the other kids at school. Uh, Bella is making friends with the kids at school, and they go to La Push. The beach. The beach. That's on the reservation, and she meets... Jacob Black, who is... Oh, maybe I should have mentioned this before, but Charlie Swan has a best friend. Just one. Billy Black is Jacob Black's father and best friend of Charlie Swan, Bella's dad. So, she drags Jacob Black away from the crowd and decides mm-hmm. to flirt. Yeah. With him. He reveals the stories of the land, basically, and mm-hmm. um, how there 
might be werewolves. Yeah, he mentions kind of the the men who become wolves, who yeah. are who are the ancestors of ancestors his tribe. Ancestors of his tribe, and they yeah take the kind of the spirit of the wolf. The wolf, and then there are the cold ones. And Bella somehow puts two and two together. Edward fucking Cullen is a vampire. I mean, obvs. Well done. I mean, I don't know whether we're supposed to think that she's just super smart. So we've noticed I these feel things. I like we were. Because, so the book's from her perspective. So yeah. maybe she is the only one who even notices these things. Mm. But, I mean, other characters do also mention things that are unusual about the Cullens. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow she's the only one, figures it out, confronts him about it. And uh, he was like, yeah, you're right. So where the first half ends is where Edward is taking Bella to the infamous meadow. Wait, that's... That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all, that's all that happens in the first part of this book. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've been sat here thinking, this is all very nice, but when are we going to get to the plot? That's <laughs> it. <laughs> and I've read this book, but yeah. wow, okay, that, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Lovely. Okay, on yep. we go. Now it's time for us to actually get into what we think about the book. So we're going to take it in turns. I've got some things that I want to talk about. You've got some things you want to talk about. And we'll just, yeah, we'll take it in turns and see how we go. Yeah. So from the first half, one of the first things that really stuck out to me was Bella's state of mind. Mm. So she's our narrator. She's the one who... Literally anything that happens when we see it through her eyes, we get her account of what's happening. Mm -hmm. My first thing is Bella's age. Mm. So she's 17. Yes. So she's older than we were when we were first reading it, but now she's quite a bit younger than we we are are now. Mm. Have I just forgotten what it was like to be 17? Or is Bella really young? I was trying to think of other characters mm. who are 17 to, like, try and give me some reference yeah. for mm. it. And I'm thinking, like, so Ladybird in the Greta Gerwig yeah. film, she's 17, 18. She seems more mature than Bella. Like, she's not a mature character, but no. she just seems to have a better kind of sense View of herself. Of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Sabrina, again, not fully mature, but just seems to know herself and know her feelings. Mm. Um, whereas Bella reminds me more of a character from Big Mouth. You know, like, the, <laughs> she does, and I don't know how old they're supposed to be, like, 11. But, you know, like, when they've got, like, the hormone monster that's, yeah. like, on their shoulder telling them, like, everything sucks, this town sucks, you suck, your dad sucks, your mum sucks, everything in the world sucks. Oh, apart from this one boy who's ignoring you, he's amazing, yeah. like, by all means, follow him to the end of the It doesn't make any sense to me, and yet... Edward literally says that she seems old. Now, I don't know... Coming from two old souls here, like, we're Um, old souls. Were we always old souls? We were always old souls. We are. We were. It was always mentioned. But then it's being mentioned to Bella. Yeah, this is my worry. Bella is literally being told that she's mature for her age. The thing is... She doesn't seem it at all. There's so much angst like i remember so rereading these is really interesting because obviously it does take you back to a time when you were a teenager so Mm -hmm. you do cross refer and there is so much angst and yes when you first fall in love with that boy woman person it is all consuming and it's all you think about and you do think everybody else sucks 
and you do have you know being a teenager you do have a lot of anger towards everything but the problem is she, there doesn't seem to be any evidence other than her thoughts about herself that anything bad has happened to her or that she should feel this way yeah like you're right yeah we don't get any evidence but i wonder if bella has experienced some past trauma she certainly acts like she does yeah, yeah. and like she kind of says it or it's implied, and I just don't know where it's going. Okay. So, like, when? When Edward says that they shouldn't be friends, she says, I'd heard that before, and that is italicised. Mm. And then on page 146, she says, I've always been very good at repressing unpleasant things. Yes, I remember that. What has Bella and been through? And that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't do like, that. That's her skill. She's yeah. like, I had always been very good at repressing unpleasant things. There's this mm. idea of that maybe Bella's been bullied. Yeah. I don't know. And then maybe neglect from parents as yeah, well. So definitely her attitude that. to her parents. Mm. Right at the beginning of the book, her description of her mum mm. basically states that she's had to look after herself from yes. a very young age. She yeah. doesn't make Renee out to be a very good mother no. at all. Ugh, completely codependent relationship. Yes, yeah. but we're only getting it from Bella's perspective. So we don't really know at this point in this part of the book, we, we don't even meet Renee. No. But it certainly seems that Bella has had to learn how to look after herself. She talks about, like, stress about the bills. She says that, like, yeah. oh, she'll have Phil with her, so at least the bills will get, get paid. paid at least she'll have someone to call when she gets lost. Mm. All of that kind of stuff. Then there's Charlie. There's one point where mm. she literally describes Charlie's home as a prison. Okay, she doesn't say those words. <laughs> She says that she requested to be assigned kitchen detail for the duration of her stay. Oh, that's see. Yeah, prison. that's a... Yeah. This is the thing, though, with Charlie. And I don't know whether it's just to do with our expectations of men versus our expectations mm. of women. And his job. Yeah. But Charlie seems like quite a, a sympathetic character. Yeah. We he like seems, Charlie. Yeah, I like Charlie. And he seems very laid back. Like, he doesn't want to overstep. Like, that also... You know, he's not very present in her life. Yeah. But he gives her a lot of freedom. Yes. We're seeing that as a good thing. And maybe that's mm. maybe that comes from us being young readers at the time we first reading this. Mm. That seemed like a really cool thing. Yeah. But I wonder if both her parents have messed her up a little bit. I mean, she, you know, all up her. Come on. It's what parents do. Yeah. And that's not their fault. No. It's just what It happened to do. them. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose like our parents, whatever baggage we inherit we carry on but it just seems particularly odd to me with bella mm. she cringes so hard when she walks into his house and sees all the photos of her she's like i have to see what i can do about getting those taken down basically going like dad stop smothering me dad it's so embarrassing mm. cringing away from his love and then when he gets up he makes a special effort to put snow chains on her car Aww. which could literally save her life like yeah. that's the bare minimum is to try and keep your daughter alive mm. she actually cries and she says, I wasn't used to being taken care of. So this is the, this kind of mood swing between yeah. like, oh God, Charlie, stop, to mm. being like, he didn't want me to crash and die. <laughs> How sweet. <laughs> These are the things that I think have led to what I think could be an anxiety disorder. Mm. Again, I state, we're not professionals. No. We, we are not people to be <laughs> diagnosing this. But a few things. She Just almost how it reads. Yeah. When she arrives at the school, okay, first days of school aren't, aren't nerve-wracking. Mm. She... So she almost hyperventilates just walking into her first class. Yeah. She describes her anxiety about starting a new school as drowning. Mm. She does not like herself at all. When Edward kind of starts 
saying that he actually likes her mm. starts to give hints. This is before we find out that Edward's officially a vampire. Mm. Like she's in this dream world of maybe I'm maybe I dreamt it, maybe I dreamt that he likes me, and she says that that seems more convincing than the prospect that he actually likes me. But I can't believe I'm going to defend Bella. But this is something that women do tend to feel. It's true. Yeah. I think anyone feels it. Yeah, feels like, oh, the I can't kind of, believe. Yeah, why would they like me? me? They're so sure. attractive or, you know, whatever. That's true. It's just that combined with her constant gloom. Mm. And whether it's that's... It's not a good mix. But she's also fully aware that her milkshake brings all the boys but, to the Oh, yard. yeah. And damn right. It's, it's better, better than, than yours, yours. Jessica. Oh. <laughs> and Lauren. Lauren's a bitch. Lauren, right, so Lauren just appears. Uh, out, of she just appears out of nowhere. That, for the beach Oh, scene don't worry, we'll get there. To be a bitch. I know. And then, I don't know. Yeah. I, who the fuck is Lauren? I know. Where have you come from? I know. But yeah, so she, she uses it to her advantage. She knows that men like her, but mm. then at the same time is like, oh, I'm hideous. Yeah, but... That that is okay. That is okay. A, so maybe actually, yeah. this is a good representation. I wouldn't go that far. But then there's definite language of of an unhealthy misery here. She has a very unhealthy relationship with herself, and her mum notices it Does about she? partway through in an email. I think her mum notices. She actually says her depression. Let me find it. Stop. Um, it. Does she? It says, despite my outright lies, the tenor of my emails alerted Renee to my depression. She talks about spiralling downward in misery. It's just these very, like, evocative phrases. I've also got a few kind of notes on what I thought of as unhealthy behaviours starting to develop. So it's not just in her mind, but it's also in her actions. There's a weird talk of shooting herself. On page thirty, what? Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't suggest that she's going to do it. Like Is it at school? No, no. It's at. Um, it's at home. It's not knowing where his guns are. Yeah, and yeah. I. So I don't want to over dramatize it. But it's, she's that's not, a choice to have that in there. Yeah. You've it, written that. Yeah, and Bella's not saying that she is going to shoot herself, mm. or even that she's considered it, but. It says that um, Charlie, when she was younger, used to, like, lock away his guns, and now no, he, he doesn't, doesn't, because... And she says, like, oh, I guess he now thinks of me as old enough to not shoot myself by accident and not depressed enough to shoot myself on purpose. <gasps> but that is a choice. You're oh, right to have that wow. line in there. So that's not necessarily behaviour, but it's just something in the narration there that hints at that really dark potential in Bella's yeah. mood. Um so I also big one for me. Uh, she skips meals. Oh, so um, much. She does not eat. She does it three times in the first half of the book. Uh, so is it not more than that? No, just three times that okay. she actually skips a meal. Twice okay. she has just soda for lunch because of stress over Edward either being there or not being there. <laughs> uh, then later on she skips dinner with Charlie. She tells Charlie that she's not hungry. She doesn't want dinner tonight, mm. and she goes straight to bed. Uh, and then she tries to refuse dinner a fourth time. She tries to tell her friends and Edward that she's not hungry. It doesn't matter that they've already eaten. And it's only that Edward insists in Port Angeles that they go into a restaurant and he sends Jessica and Angela okay. home. Mm. The final unhealthy behaviour I've got is that she self-medicates. In chapter 12, she says uh, she was far too stressed to sleep. 
So I did something oh, I'd never done yes. before. Yes. I deliberately took unnecessary cold med- medication. Deliberately took unnecessary. Interesting. Basically, what this half of the book has made me think about Bella's mental state is she suffered and the suffering has affected her. But it's not clear what she suffered. And I don't think we're going to find out. Uh, we we're, we're not going to find out in this book no. anyway how this trauma has actually occurred. Yeah. It's very I worrying. don't know if we're supposed to think of it as just normal teenage angst. Well, this, I, this is the thing, because when I read it, when we first read it as adolescents, yeah. you know, we, I didn't, I, I thought Bella was very relatable. Yeah. Twilight was always my favourite out of the saga. She was relatable, she got my angst, you understood that, you know, I, I hadn't had a boyfriend at this point, not a proper one, and, mm-hmm. and I... Neither is she. No, and, and I, you know, you're desperate for love and that tox- toxicity, if that's the word, or... Um, well, in this relationship, yeah. Like, no, but, but I was. Oh, you wanted. I, I wanted. You, you, were cr- you wanted the I unhealthy was, relationship. Yes, but, but I didn't know it was unhealthy. You thought that that was just... That's, I thought that was love. Well, exactly. And this is yeah. the thing about these books, and I remember having the same kind of thoughts... And the same kind of assumptions from it is that, well, love hurts. And yeah. love should hurt. And if yeah. it doesn't hurt, it's, it's not, not really Yes. Yeah. And this is something I think I still think deep down. Yeah. About relationships. Um, I don't. No. I, but That's good. <laughs> yeah. I can see the times when I have. Yeah. I also just want to point out that Edward sees that Bella is suffering. He and knows. loves it. He loves it. He loves and it. it's he actually what off of it. brings them together. Yeah. Mm. In chapter two, he says to her, you put on a good show, but I'd be willing to bet you're suffering more than you let anyone see. Mm. Which, let's be honest, is like the dream chatter oh, line for it really every is. emo kid. Oh, like, it is. If someone they had understand t- oh. me. They understand my suffering. If someone had told me when I was 17... Mm. I'd be willing to bet you're suffering more than you let anyone see. I would have been... I would have <laughs> melted. I would have... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They would... I might not be here today. <laughs> I would be running away with... I'd Edward. be a vampire. You would be in forks. Oh. Something else I want to talk about, uh, mm. about this half of the book, mm. is... Go on. Where are all the gays? Where are all the gays? Where are, all Where the are gays? my people at? So this was not something that had ever really occurred to me in the first Which reading. Which is, do you not think that's fascinating? That you, because, you know, we said before you were not out, but you knew. Mm, you I don't gay. know if I, at the point of reading this book, mm. I don't think I was that aware of myself yet. Like subconsciously it was always there, but I don't know if I was in that kind of discourse with myself. Isaac, where are all the gays? Where are all the gays? Well, they're they're there. Um, Mm. Ish. We don't know. Okay, they're not there. No. Fine. (laughs) There, There are no gay characters. Openly gay. So Stephanie Meyer, this podcast isn't about Stephanie Meyer. No. I don't want to spend too much time talking about her, but she is the author of these works. This is her world that she created from a manifestation of her thoughts. Absolutely. Mm. And it's not her that we're examining in this. We're looking at the works. But it's just interesting to know, Stephanie Meyer is a Mormon, Mm. and she went to Brigham Young University, uh, which is owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This university has a long history of being quite anti-LGBT+. 
I don't know Maya's views on LGBT plus issues, and I'm not really going to look for them. It doesn't really matter to me what her views are. We are sometimes going to imagine how Maya intended this work to be interpreted. Yeah. But we're not bound by her intent. We're readers, so we can take from the books whatever we can, like, reasonably find there. Just like every English teacher. And that's what <laughs> queer people have been doing, like, queer readers, queer... For centuries. Exactly. Yeah. Anytime we're consuming media. Until very recently, and even now... We're still... There is more representation of queer stories mm. and queer bodies, uh, but it's it's so often... Through a straight lens. Straight white male lens. Yes, because that's how everything is made. Yes. On that note, I'm going to start with where I find queerness. Oh, I love this. Okay. Yes. So Charlie's my first one. Oh! Oh, maybe that's why I love him. Oh, maybe it is. (laughs) I don't think Charlie's queer. There's just a little moment where Bella first mentions the Cullens to Charlie over dinner. And Charlie Uh, mentions Dr. Cullen. Interesting. And he says something along the lines of like, oh, it's, you know, he's so handsome, he's so young, and it's um, surprising any of the other doctors get any work done, because he's so gorgeous. And whether that's queer or not, I don't know. But it's interesting to me that Charlie appreciates Dr. Cullen's beauty. Mm. And I thought that was quite nice. Yeah. There are other times when Charlie is quite typically... Straight. Cishet. That was just a nice little moment. I want to talk about Edward. Yes! I've just written here, <gasps> Edward is a twink. <laughs> now he is. He's described... Do you want to explain what a twink is? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? No. Uh, I think it's important for people to know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, twink is a gay male stereotype. A twink would be described as a young-looking, slim usually hairless, Mm -hmm. attractive man. So visually, Edward is very twinky. Um, (laughs) He's described as boyish. Mm -hmm. It's known that he doesn't date girls. These are all quotes. Why, Edward? Why? Why don't you date girls? I assume the implication there is he doesn't date, but... I thought the implication was there's no one good enough. Well, that's what Jessica thinks. Yeah, well, I think that's what everybody thinks. Yeah. Especially the girls, probably, in high school, like, well, fine. I think there's something that, you know, that can definitely be read as queer. Oh, absolutely. Um, The kind of abstaining from the norm Mm -hmm. of dating as a Mm -hmm. teenager. Yeah. He has unusual hair. That's gay. Oh. Isn't it? Yeah. A boy with unusual hair. That's really gay. Think about the guys with unusual hair. Yeah, because straight men just don't wash their hair. Or they wash it and it's just, this is how it is. I mean, I guess in in our day at school, the most interesting thing a straight guy would do with their hair is like... Cut it? it? No, the... (laughs) (laughs) The David Beckham highlights. Uh, Did you remember the guy that was younger that this is totally digressing? (laughs) No, I don't have a clue. Oh! The younger guy that I dated for a little bit, he always had a nosebleed whenever we kissed. Oh, really? Yeah, beautiful, really tall guitar player, but he was a year younger than me. It was a bit scandalous. Gay? No. Because oh, the gay highlights were very different to the football highlights, yes. typically. Yeah, um, the gay highlights were better. He has a musical voice. His movements are described as fluid and graceful. Mm, he's a dancer. So just Edward's kind of outward mannerisms and description. Gay. Gay. His constant inner turmoil, which results in emotional manipulation (sighs) of a girl with a crush on him. Yes. Gay. Gay. I've never heard anything so gay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He seems to get a kick out of controlling the dialogue he engages in. Oh, he's my ex-boyfriend. 
His clothes. So, the descriptions of all of Edward's clothing. They really make me wonder what year it is. We have no idea. There's lots of things about this book. phones and everything. Well, the lack of mobile phones. There's mention of a perm. Mm. There's mention of, like, spiked hair. Edward is especially bizarre Mm. with his clothing. This one outfit... So they're at dinner. Yes. And Bella notices what he's wearing. Yeah. Uh, I always remember fantasising about a man wearing this outfit. Really? <laughs> it reminds me of the S Club 7 music video Which for one? Never Had a Dream Come True. The snow falling and there's like mountains <gasps> in the background. And I'm with Never you. Never had a dream come true. Yeah. He was removing a light beige leather jacket. Oh. Underneath, he wore an ivory turtleneck sweater. It fit him snugly, emphasising how muscular his chest was. That's gay. Oh, I didn't realise he was wearing a light beige leather jacket. He's wearing a light beige leather jacket. That's not nice. Over an ivory turtleneck. Just very beige. Yeah. Very beige. And that's what that S Club 7 video was like. Yes, but didn't you know that only mature people wear neutral colours? Oh, is that it? It's a sign of the maturity. Yeah. Okay, so right before the end of this half of this book where they're going to the meadow, the meadow mm-hmm. he's described as wearing an unbuttoned, sleeveless white shirt. Sleeveless? Sleeveless. I don't know if that's collared or not. Oh. It's not even a vest because it's, it's, it's unbuttoned, which implies yeah, like it's it not buttons. closed. Yeah. It's, it's open at the front. Gay. Gay. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, once again, I'm going to say I don't think that Edward is actually gay. I think there are certainly points of Edward's story that can be read that way. In a way, it's always been possible to read vampires as queer. The idea of this kind of secret life, this hiding away Mm. from normal society, Mm -hmm. hiding what you are, being somehow dangerous. But also what's quite nice with the Cullens, I find, is this idea of a chosen family. They're separate to everyone else. They're a little bit odd. It doesn't quite make sense to the onlookers but they are a family who have were not born a family no, they've they chosen have, each other yeah. well choice well, yeah carlisle yeah. is yeah. it, but we'll get to that yeah the place where i found the most possibility for reading queerness mm. is in bella and that could be just because she's our protagonist yeah. and our first person narrator but i think it's definitely there Bella has a real thing about being different or special yes she's got a real thing about it it comes up quite a lot She's forced to admit that she's lying to herself. She's Mm. never going to be able to fit in the way that she should look like a normal girl from Phoenix, but she doesn't. In chapter one, Bella actually says, maybe there was a glitch in my brain. I remember that. There's something odd. And Mm. that's, again, never really followed up anywhere else. She thinks she's a freak. She gets embarrassed when her difference is noted by others. When Edward talks about reading minds with Bella. Yeah. And says that he can't read hers. And she says, what's wrong with me? She says, my mind doesn't work right. I'm a freak. He thinks that maybe your mind doesn't work in the same way as others. That's super queer. Yeah. She makes no sense, though. She hates when she's defined to be different, but then wants to surround herself with people who are different. But isn't that super queer? (laughs) Yeah. Like, if you're, you know what I mean? When you grow up as a young, questioning or LGBTQ plus person, whenever you're picked up on for being different, it's humiliating because you're othered. But then when you see other people who are othered, yeah. that's attractive and that's you're, you see yourself. I wonder if that's part of the Bella's intrigue. draw. Yeah, mm. is that she thinks there's something wrong with her. There is an amazing little paragraph. Charlie's trying to work out 
with Bella uh, about going to the dance, why she isn't going to the dance. Does she not have a like boyfriend. anyone? Does she not have a yeah. boyfriend? Because everyone has to have a boyfriend yeah. if they're a girl. And Bella says that she actually kind of feels sorry or she sympathises with Charlie. She said it must be a hard thing to be a father, living in fear that your daughter would meet a boy she liked, but also having to worry if she didn't. She says, How ghastly it would be, I thought, shuddering, if Charlie had even the slightest inkling of exactly what I did like. Ladies. I mean, I think Bella is meaning the monsters. Yeah. But I think it's just a really, it's a really nice little moment there of a child worrying about a parent. Mm -hmm. Which you do when you're going to come out. It's nice to say that maybe, you know, if you are a teenager coming across this for the first time and are questioning your sexuality, that maybe you can see some things yourself yeah a little bit in Bella definitely in in Bella Bella is the vessel it's not a queer book but it can be found there and it's interesting that um they definitely have qualities yeah that that can be read as queer and that can provide content for queer readers okay so topics that I got from reading the first half of the book I kind of want to talk about representation of women Yes, please. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad yes. that's your reaction. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine? No. Uh, yeah. mm, no. Next. Yeah. Well, that's well. That was the thing that really, really got me rereading these. Bella is not a feminist icon. Okay, icon. Yeah. Fine. Mm-hmm. Is she a feminist? No. I think. I think. No. 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 <laughs> I think. She thinks she, she is. is. That they're the worst kinds. Or, now, can we say who are the worst kinds of feminists? Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. No, actually, no. Yes. Never mind. We can. Yes, we can. She's the worst kind. Okay. If she genuinely thinks she's a feminist, that's awful. I thought there would be some redeemable qualities about Bella because I did relate to her so much, and we all did, and especially her being a teenage girl when I was a teenage girl, and you know, all of this. No. No. She is not friends with other women. I mean... So she has female friends. She has Jessica and she has Angela. Which brings me to the point how long it takes her to remember their names. She remembers the male names first. Does she always? Yeah. She doesn't know any of the female names until Angela kindly reminds her. I loved that line. Look, people are bad with names. Some people are bad with names. That's fine. Be honest about it. She's new. Yeah. It's the way. It's her attitude. She doesn't seem to care. She doesn't care. She's entitled. I don't know if you picked up on this, but what I found to be really irritating as a reader is as a narrator, she didn't stick to one name for Jess. No. She goes between Jessica and Jess seemingly at random. Yeah. It's because she forget, forgets her name, that's why. But it's the same name. Jessica. Yeah, but it's. But what do you prefer? And she's just, well, she's just not thought to ask. Yeah, she's so inconsiderate. Also, she's incredibly judgmental. She judges everybody. It's mm-hmm. not just the women, but it's. It's just more prominent. Rosalie, Alice, stunning, beautiful. Jessica and Angela are more critically. Aren't all of the vampires described? Yes, but they're they're at a level that these other high school girls are not. Okay. And that's not fair. But then what about, because she definitely, she mentions Eric's acne? Yes. And... She judges them all, and and they're not beautiful. 
that's their problem the these high school kids you know who don't understand her she's not really friends with but is friends with Mm -hmm. they are lower than bella because of appearances but also she's the worst yeah that i am dirt and you Exactly. She is entitled because of the way that she looks and the way that she was like, I don't need to know your name. Do you think that this is a problem because she, in a way, is in this book our representation of like an every woman? Do you think that it it makes Mm. Bella a problematic female protagonist? Yes, because it's not fair. This is the thing, when new characters are introduced into this book, and obviously there are a lot in the first half because she's moving to a new school, it is hair colour, eye colour, what do they look like? And by the way, they're all white. They are all white. Everyone's white. Everyone is white, and most of the girls are blonde, and most of the guys are blonde, and Mike's blonde. I think, I believe... Lauren and Jessica are... Jessica has curly, dark hair. Oh, Jessica's got curly... I thought it was Angela. Jessica was the first person who I thought might not be white um, because of her curly, dark hair, but then I'm pretty sure she is later on described as white. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, there's a lot of... uh, Everyone's white. Everyone's white. It just seems like bad looks equals bad person... Good looks equals good person. And and I know we all do it. Obviously, it's the first thing you see when you meet a person is what they look like. Yeah. But why? Why? Why so much? Why so much? Why does it have to be so judgmental? And that then determines her relationship with these people. She also, again, with this superiority, she assumes she is more intelligent than the women that surround her. So when Jessica calls, it's all about Mike and the spring dance and the dresses. So that's really, that's Jessica as a character. Yeah. Because I remember finding but Jessica very bitchy. She is bitchy. She knows she's bitchy, though. Oh, and you respect that. Yeah. Is Jessica your favourite character? No. I do, I've definitely made notes in my book somewhere about, like, justice for Jess. <laughs> Honestly, I think she is hard done by at times. She is. Well, and I think there are times when Jessica is a good friend. There are. She rings Bella to check she's okay after... Yeah, she wants to know the gossip, but yeah. she, she remembers that... You know, Bella went on a date and wants to know how it's been. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, Jess, yeah, she's a bitch and she's not nice to Bella most of the time. Mm, I suppose. Just because there's jealousy there, but Bella undermines Jess a lot. Do you think that this is intentional because we are only seeing characters like Jess and Angela through Bella's perspective? Do you think that it is Bella who sees Jess as gossipy? Because mm. that's pretty much her only character trait. Is it because we are seeing her through Bella's perspective that we are perceiving her to be that way? Or is, or is the character just Jess? Yeah. What I'm wondering is what is what is Maya and what is yeah. Bella? It's a mixture of both, though, isn't it? She has created all of these cliches because you've got a high school, so you have to have the bitchy girl. You have to have the jock who's in love with someone. Oh God, I'd never really thought of Mike Newton as a jock. But he is, isn't he? I mean, he's the best they've got. Isn't yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Mike. Still, when Mike Newton is your jock. Yeah. Angela is the sweet, shy virgin. You know, it's mm. we've all got these stereotypes that we need in our high school story. Uh, and Bella's the one outsider who's not part of this cliche. Yeah. Well, because actually, she's too cool and too smart and too interesting for all yeah. of it. Yeah. So I won't remember your name and your gossipy. <laughs> <laughs> It's just interesting, Bella's relationships with women and how she treats them. You know, uh, just, uh, why? Why? You know, it would have been really nice if Bella had a really good female friend. Yeah. 
She is also made to be fucking helpless and pathetic. So she's our damsel in distress. The amount of times that Bella needs to be saved by a man. It's, I mean, oh, I, I'm, I didn't mention it in the plot, but the amount of times that Edward saves her, she nearly dies from the car crash. She slips the blood. She faints. Oh, God, yeah, she's so delicate. She's so delicate. She's so pale. She's so, you know, she needs to be looked after and taken care of by men. She doesn't accept anything from women. Well, no women offer to help. It's kind oh, of, God. yeah, the, the only, there's a female nurse, but Edward kind of gets rid of her and yeah. we don't learn her name. That's true. And there's the woman at the school. There's the woman at the school when Bella first arrives, who gives her a timetable, who is wearing a purple shirt so Bella must have underdressed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what does she say? She says, oh, I need to find her. I don't know what chapter it's in. She was wearing a purple T-shirt, which immediately made me feel overdressed. She's wearing a T-shirt, Bella. It's a T-shirt. Just ridiculous. So, yeah, she's, she's our damsel in distress. Constantly. Constantly. Constantly needing mm. some kind of saviour. She's useless at sports. Her only validation that she allows herself is when she gets compliments off of a man. Edward. Really? Yes. The only time she feels valued, the only time that she will accept... A compliment. Yeah, and and kind of is, is like, oh, yeah, mm. is from Edward Cullen. There are no plans for a career. There are no, like, I'm desperate to go to this university. I really want to get into wherever. But would you be thinking about that? At in- 17? Mm, yeah, you're right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but in your junior year, no, yes, you're right. because you're studying for that. Very for that, reason. because you know the next year is going to be your last, and then you're going to go to university. Can't okay. wait to get out of this small town and meet new people. No, no career, no subject that she loves or like. Can't wait to study somewhere else. Doesn't she? She's really good at English, and she is she spends... really good at English, or does she just read books? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Are we really good at English? Or we just read books? I don't want to answer that. <laughs> so my question is kind of, what is Bella teaching young girls? Okay, so your main problem with women in these books is that... Yeah, and Bella not being a feminist icon as... I mean, icon. Like, that's quite a... Come on, these books expect. were iconic. The books were iconic. Yeah. Um, oh, so you think that if Bella had even been, just been, in, like, a little bit of a feminist... Yeah. What about the moment that she says that she is a feminist? She says she's a feminist. She says... She says the words, I, Bella Swan, <laughs> I'm a feminist. No, I don't remember when she says it, and now I'm... Oh, here we go, here we go. Right. Mike is like, oh, crap, yeah, that essay's due. What are you doing yours on? And she says, whether Shakespeare's treatment of the female characters is misogynistic. And I've just written here, wait, Bella <laughs> knows feminism. And chooses to ignore it. <laughs> yeah. And Mike then proceeds to go, what, doesn't he? What does that mean? Or what is um, that? Yeah, he stared at me like I'd just spoken in pig Latin. Yeah, because she's a horrible person. Because she's a horrible... Wait, he doesn't know what she means by whether we Shakespeare... We don't know. He's just looking at her. And she's interpreting it as like, oh, you're an idiot. Wait, so you're on Mike's side with it? You think? No, I'm not on Mike's <laughs> side with it. But I just think Bella is being Judgy McJudgerson again. Okay, but I wonder if are you not judging her too harshly? <laughs> is what I'm wondering. Yeah. Is Bella 
doing her best as a 17-year-old. No, okay, great She's that she wrote an essay. essay about that. However, that does not seep into her life or her beliefs. Okay, certainly not her home life. Yeah, or her life at high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So her life. <laughs> Don't side with Banner! So now I want to talk about Absent Mothers is the title of the subtopic. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we just really don't have a sense of family. It's very much these are loners. These are outsiders. Uh, like you said, the Cullens are a chosen family, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's a very different type of family. They are our best representation yes. of yeah. a complete family unit. And I understand like a single parent is a family. Yeah, Bella and Charlie are family. They are family, but Bella doesn't really accept that. It's just very interesting, yeah. uh, the representation of families and there's no kind of matriarch. Even her mother isn't, uh, no. you know, it's her mother is more of a daughter figure. She's not a mother. But this is the thing that I wonder if there's an element of fantasy there about my mum is my best friend. Yeah, and there is. Have you seen Gilmore Girls? Like, Oh my God, exactly. We wa- I'm wa- re-watching it right now. I... Like, we all want that. You want... You want that relationship where it's a blurred line. It's not healthy. It's not... Would you say it's what you had? Yes. There was a time, I remember, when you and I, probably around the time reading these books, Mm. where we had very different relationships with our respective mothers. Yes. Where you would share everything and I would share... Nothing. Almost nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is this coincidence? Is this, like, your relationship with your mum? Do you think it was kind of modelled on Bella and Renee? Or do you think it's just, um... Uh, no, it was this way... Uh, it was a coincidence. ...before was the a... books, but it was relatable. I thought it was relatable when, when I read it at the first okay. time. But now I'm like, no, this is not a good, healthy relationship between a mother and daughter. So it's just interesting. Like, she's, she's there... Renee is there, but she's absent. Mm-hmm. She's not a mother. She is a daughter and a friend that she must look after, that she must protect. That yes, um, and that's at least that's fair. the way it seems from Bella's Bella. Yeah, of course, this is all from Bella's mm-hmm. point of view, and it's also my interpretation with my own affinities. Yeah, of course, but it's just something that intrigued me mm-hmm. because it, I feel like this. This is a bit bad, but. Like we said, we don't really want to talk about Stephanie Meyer, but I feel like Stephanie Meyer thinks in order to have a troubled, you know, suffering protagonist, there needs to be an unconventional family life. Well, it's Disney, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. like you, you either kill off both or one parent, yeah. start with a broken family. It's yeah. a really... It provides a rich background yeah. for the character, I suppose. Yeah, and she's she's decided to do a role reversal to make Bella seem older, mm. um, which is interesting. But then she also makes Bella look after her father in the sense that she cooks the meals. Food is on the table, the house mm. is clean, things have a place when Bella arrives. I also think Bella is very passive-aggressive towards her parents. Okay. I think she's very angry at them. It lo- it seems like Bella wants to be a martyr and she wants to help her mother out. She doesn't want anybody to feel guilty. But actually, underneath it, there's a lot of resentment. And I feel like she... There might be something... and This is totally my interpretation now. But there might be something underneath Bella's curt email responses and not answering her mother's calls straight away. Making her mum panic. Making her mum worry. Mm-hmm. gives her a little bit of a thrill because it's like, actually, I'm taking revenge on you. I'm leaving and living with the father that I don't know. And you know I'd much rather be with you for you. 
I'm doing mm. this for you. So therefore... Like, no, 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 no. You don't get to worry about exactly. me. Because you are having a great time. Who do you think you are? You're not my mother. Oh. Yeah. Oh, she is. Yes. Mm. And it's just like, it's qu- she is quite passive aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a teenage thing. Yeah. It's, we all want to punish our parents. And I think it's partly she's craving adulthood. Yeah. Because that's the whole thing. But I also think having no idea what that means. No. Because no. she hasn't seen it either. Because what she thinks it means is cooking dinner for Charlie every yeah. night. I found the bit I was looking for. Yeah. It's about Charlie seemed to feel awkward just standing in the kitchen while she was cooking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he went through to the living room to watch TV. And she says, we were both more comfortable that way. So this kind of, she falls into the, trap. the role, mm-hmm. the trap, the trap, the trap of the patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. She falls into the role of the archetypal wife. Yeah. And that makes her comfortable. Yeah. And it occurs to me that that's actually a role that she's never seen. No. Except through the, through media and, yeah. and books and things yeah. like that. That actually, uh, there was no way that wasn't ever Rene. So it is kind of, she says, I could feel a tradition in the making because she started, after yeah. they finish their meal, Charlie goes back to the TV and she does the dishes. Yeah. And she can feel it. And that brings her comfort to live in these gender roles. Yeah. And it's interesting that Maya has created a world where Bella is surrounded by men. Yeah, I suppose Charlie, most of Edward, her interactions. Edward, Carlisle, um, you know, obviously she's been there are, there are t- There is time with women. Yeah, to get to Edward saving her. That's true, yeah, yeah. The, the trip, the shopping yeah. trip. And it's interesting that, of course, it's the shopping trip. Yeah. I remember there's a comment that she makes going shopping and Charlie's, like, questioning, like, why you're not going to the dance, why are you still going shopping, or mm. why do you need help? And she says something like, you... you you wouldn't need... I wouldn't have had to explain this to my mother. Like, a dad can't understand that she might want to go shopping with yeah. the girls. Yeah, again, like, passive-aggressive. It's like, you don't yeah, understand me. Guilt-tripping, you know, everybody. Both and, the parents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is Bella damaged? <laughs> Hell yes. She is. Yeah. yeah. She certainly acts like she is. Uh, and, you know, maybe the event that we're waiting for was just her parents' divorce. And this is just all the repercussions oh my God. of that. Have I been asking the question, what has given her this trauma? And it's the divorce. Oh my God. Have I missed that the whole time? <laughs> is Bella still dealing with her parents' divorce? I think of so. course she and is. And that's why she's I can't believe to I... them. And he, she, you know, Charlie is so pathetic to keep the yellow cabinets that Rene painted. And to keep up all the photos. Yeah. And yeah. And she Let says, Let it like, go. He's... I have left already for his job that yeah. is his wife and family. Mm. She calls his job his wife and family. Yeah, but she's quite cruel sometimes in her thoughts towards him. So do you think that Bella, this whole thing, the whole thing throughout this book and the start of this plot mm. is her taking revenge on her parents for the divorce? I think so. There's definitely elements of that. And then it's very important for her to be with one person forever. Oh, my God, you're right. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Wow, yeah, actually, is this what Twilight's about? Maybe. It's about one girl going to the ends of the earth to take <laughs> revenge on her parents for divorcing. I mean, that's what we all do. We do. We all take revenge on our parents somehow. And that's where my topic ends. Wow. Oh. There we go. <laughs> we're nearly at the end of the episode. I know. Uh, but just a little something that we're going <laughs> to finish up every time with uh, is our burning question. Yes. So what this is, is each episode, we'll take it in turns to ask each other one question 
So I'm going to ask you today Mm -hmm. one question that this half of the book or this particular bit of text that we've been looking at has brought up for me that I don't feel that the text answers, Answers, at least not satisfactorily. So on page 181, Mm. uh, there is a moment where Bella and Edward, they're having lunch together and they're like secreted away from everyone else. Uh, And Bella's curious about the whole vampire thing. And she's like, Edward, what would you do if someone dared you to eat food? So holding her eyes, he lifts a piece of pizza and takes a bite, chews and swallows. And he like looks at her and is like, if someone dared you to eat dirt, you could do. So my question for you is, (laughs) do vampires poop? Good question. I don't think they do. No, I don't think so. That's why he has to take a very small bite. That's going to so, be in there forever. So, But then what happens if a vampire were to continually eat food? Oh, there'd be a big trouble. <laughs> it would just fill up? Yeah. Will it not rot? But then they do a lot of running, so maybe it would burn off. But you can't just burn off. It. There, there would be waste, some kind of waste. Sick? Could they be sick? <laughs> oh, my God. Do you think, like, a cat? Do you yeah. think he, like, had to go home that day and, like... like <laughs> As Esme's, like, playing piano yeah. or something. <laughs> okay. Wow. So you yeah. think that just stays there? It yeah. doesn't get absorbed into the yeah. body? It doesn't... It's like an empty cave. Okay, but yeah. no poop. No poop. There we have it, guys. No poop for Edward vampires. doesn't poop. So now we, we have a segment called The Final Verdict. Mm. So on this episode, Isaac will give your final verdict of the book. Okay. I'm going to ask you some questions. And it's going to be the same three questions. It's going to be the same, time. yes. Same three questions every time. So you will then ask me in our next episode. But now we're going to focus on you. Number one, are you a fan of this book today? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Said I, with such, like, disdain. Oh, I wish I was. Have you, it's not as gothic as I remember it. No. I, like, we were proper emo kids yeah. when we were reading these and I like it really fit with my identity in that way like it was a real part of it yeah and reading it back it's just it's not very dark it's quite dull gooey but having said that it still looks great that looks great like it's got the apple it's got a little bit of shine to it it's black it's <laughs> I think that looks great on a bookshelf so I'm probably going to keep it. Okay. Um, so you wouldn't be embarrassed? Uh, no. I'm just, No. Yeah. Never be embarrassed of any books. Yeah. Like, fuck it. Read what you read. Would you have encouraged your teenage self to read it? No. Again. I just think there are so many other things I could have been reading. Yeah. And if I were to talk to, like, 13-year-old me, I'd be like, okay, great, if you want to read this, fine. Mm. But it's not actually going to give you a lot. No. You know I love... Adam Silvera, like as an adult, I've read his young yeah. adult books. There are so many young adult authors, or authors writing young adult novels. So what has this book taught you, if anything? Uh, if I'm being bitchy, this Do book it, has please. taught me that you can't just take your book about suffocating love and add vampires and it will make it interesting. If I were to, to look for something really genuine, yeah. um, <laughs> it's... There are lots of different kinds of family. What is important is that you come together when it counts and you're there for each other when it counts. That's very sweet. Regardless of your own prejudices or what you might think. Mm. Yeah. That's my final verdict. (laughs) 
Thank you for joining us for the first part of our discussion of the novel Twilight. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to pull apart the second half of this book, but in the meantime, you can join the chat by finding us on Twitter at ForksCast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, look after yourselves. And remember, when joining a new school, you don't need to learn anybody's names. <laughs> <laughs> yes.